0: Okay, we're here again with Warrior Connection, uh, getting toward, <laughs> boy, uh, we're into uh, almost fall here, I guess. I think we did that a day or so ago, and we'll be uh, talking today with one of our female Desert Storm vets, like I am, and we'll be talking to her about her experiences now in Desert Storm, but after. Uh, She is one of ours uh, that I wanted to get online so that she could kind of speak her truth uh, of what she's gone through. We're into another wave of COVID, and I thought it was appropriate to interview someone that has gone through it personally. Uh, And so, Brenda, uh, welcome to Warrior Connection, and I'm Denise Nichols. I'm the old major nurse type that served over in Desert Storm and then connecting with a lot of uh, Desert Storm vets since I came home 30 years ago and working uh, to get us help for Gulf War illness uh, that developed Uh, so many trips to D.C. and elsewhere doing this. Um, And here we came with another problem on top of our already health problems. So. I had to pay attention as a old nurse, and knew what we were facing mm-hmm. as soon as I heard it was happening over in china, um so it was kind of like get, get prepared, get ready um because we were going to have something that happened over a hundred years ago to so the world mm-hmm. happen again, which is a pandemic, anyway, brenda um. If you want to give your last name, that's okay, or you can just stay with Brenda. (laughs) Brenda, tell Um, us basically what you did uh, in the military and your service in Desert Storm. Okay. Um, You can just call me, Brenda. Um, I was in the military. Um, I went to Desert Storm with my Unit 7th Corps from Stuttgart, Germany. I was a 75 Charlie, which was a personnel management specialist. In my job, I covered personnel actions and promotions for soldiers. And I worked at a PAC. That was my last duty assignment job. I'm still going. Okay. So you got into Desert Storm from Germany. Uh, and did you end up uh, staying in Saudi or did you go into Iraq or, you know, about where were you located over in theater? Okay. I was in Saudi for four months. Um, a couple of places I remember going to was KKMC. And I remember um, Hotel California that I think that was sort of like the in-processing place. And, you know, with Army, we, moved around so much the other places you know just tent city that's all i knew it was (laughs) okay uh all righty and so you were there for what you said about four months and then did you head back to germany or what happened with your military after that i went back to germany i was so many back i Got back to Germany, Stuttgart, um, on 17 April, and a year less than a year later, I got out of the military. So okay. I came back home back to Jacksonville, Florida. Okay, and did you uh, experience any of the symptoms that we commonly call Gulf War illness? Um, yeah, I'm experiencing it every day. You know I have the headaches, the body aches, um a lot of other things, <laughs> but you know okay. they just you know it's just hard to describe to them what's going on It's very hard, okay, uh, so you've done the typical things I imagine, just like all of us, and uh. I don't know if you had very good briefings, you know, when you got out and when you went back home. But have you found out about, you know, VA and getting on the registry and that kind of thing? Were you briefed on that or, um, you know, just happened upon it by your searching to get help with gut for illness or what happened there? I didn't get on the registry. I wasn't told about it. I do know there's the burn registry, burn pit registry, or something like that, but I have not gotten on that registry yet. I'm still saying I'm going to get on it, but as of now, I haven't gotten on the burn pit registry. So you, like a lot of people, were never briefed on what your benefits were uh, to, you know, go to the VA uh, to seek care there. Is that correct? Yes, I was not briefed on that. I didn't know I was eligible for VA care until probably about 2010, 2009. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know about it. And I got out of the military February the 1st, 92. Wow. Mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting, and I think it should be interesting for you know the general public uh people have met other vets or no other vets or have family members um, mm-hmm. i I think you know it's it's amazing I tell people that. I got on the computer. (laughs) One of the things that my husband had done while I was gone was bought one of the first computers. (laughs) And so we had a Uh computer at home. When I got back, I went, oh, okay. (laughs) So we had a little, um, you know, new device there. And I found out there is how I connected with the very first group. Uh, And a lot of them were out of Texas for some reason. I was a Texas girl. Uh, uh-huh. Born and raised there And uh, stationed there and all that But there was a bulletin board uh, That was set up on old, gosh Prodigy Network uh, And it was a bulletin board Set up by two Vietnam veterans That had family members that served In Desert Storm And that was uh-huh. their promise To their family members uh, When they were packing out to go they were asking them, what do you need us to do, you know, uh, besides l- lending our experience on how to get everything into your uh, your bags and, and ready to deploy uh, from wherever you were type thing. So they being experienced Vietnam vets, very experienced, they were the ones mm-hmm. that set up this bulletin board. And that's what I happened across. I mean, I had... I'd been very aware, uh, you know, nurse with a lot of uh, observation skills. I'd been surgical critical care, uh, you know, various things I had done in my profession, both military and civilian. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's that was my starting point. And I put my phone number out. I started getting phone calls and talking to fellow veterans and finding out what they were going through and, you know, having been trained in physical assessment and history taking and all that, my nursing career, you know, that's kind of what I started doing was tell me what's different. You know, what is different from where you were, you know, how you were feeling before and after and kind of head to toe um, and throwing in some weird stuff to, you know, I shouldn't get a response. If I was getting a response, that would open another door. But the majority of those that I talked to were not experiencing PTSD. Our PTSD level was low. And so Uh we were all having these physical symptoms. And it it was kind of hard to describe, Uh, but a lot of fatigue. You know, we were active uh, no matter what age we were. We were active military, um, fiscal training, you know, our annual testing, uh, whatever was required, whether you were Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine. And seeing that people were trying to, you know, uh, transition if they were going out of the military, I also talked to military members that had stayed in. Uh, so it was kind of like, what's going on? You know, how are you feeling? What do you mean, you know, you're fatigued? Yeah, try to give me examples. And so, you know, we went through that, and I knew that we were having problems. I mean, I was aware. I was aware of our military medical history uh, and exposure mm-hmm. history from World War One with mustard gas all the way through. You know, I had two big brothers that one of them had served Vietnam And one served Camp Lejeune <laughs> And mm-hmm. they have Both left this earth They're up in heaven somewhere But oh. I knew a lot of Vietnams outside I was of that age group I came in during Vietnam But did not go to Vietnam So I was able to I guess blend in With my brother and sister That served in Vietnam Or were in during Vietnam and mm-hmm. so I knew we were developing problems, I knew myself, and I kind of, like a lot of people, we just denied it and kept trying to go on, you know, mm-hmm. and heard about the, you know, knew about the registry developing. I think I went to very, one of the very first meetings in D.C., mm-hmm. um, gosh, it was back ninety, ninety three. So mm-hmm. it's been uh, 30 years now, and a lot of people have gotten sicker. A lot have died. We had Lou Gehrig's come up. We've had multiple sclerosis come up. A lot of uh, undiagnosed, you know, it's mm-hmm. problems that we find. And I got into the research. So that's kind of my thing is finding researchers that were outside of the VA, Because I went to the VA I knew about the registry Because that was one of the first things Uh, We had the active duty Doing um, Comprehensive clinical evaluation program And those Mm -hmm. That had already transitioned out They set up the VA registry Well it was done by law That they would Set it up on the Gulf War registry Um, And But they had not gotten funding you know they had gotten a law to do it and then I got involved and the need was to get that funded you know get funding for it Uh, and of course you know was one of the ones going in and getting a registry exam and it was got very rudimental uh, very basic so it's been a transition for all of us and we've all um, had health problems and Gotten into the VA, gotten eligible, and then started being seen. And we've all found the problem of the VA providers not being aware of all the exposures that we had, um, and a lot of veterans were not really uh, informed of all the exposures. Uh, we were there doing our job. We had the chemical alarms going off the whole bed, so we, you know, we already had a health problem. And here we came with the next thing to happen was then getting the next step in your process here. Were okay. you diagnosed before, you know, when you went into the VA, have you had any firm diagnoses, uh, medical diagnoses since getting in there and getting qualified? Um, No. Um, only thing that I had confirmed, and that wasn't through a VA doctor, it was throughout uh, the community care, was the al- asthma and allergies. That was the only thing and that I was diagnosed with. Other than, you know, the chronic headaches that was there, basically it. Okay. So, um, you got into the VA, got eligible, and so it sounds like you haven't even done the Go4 registry before the burn I, one that was started. hmm I have not. I'm um, kind of, it's kind of hard for me to <laughs> do the things that I need to do. My mind tell me I need to do it, but I just can't um, Can't get get it together. Is that a change from what you were like before? Oh yes, it's a big change. You know, before I used to be on top of things, but now I can't I can't do it. Um, you know, so many things that I need to do that I don't have the energy because I'm always tired. I don't have the energy to do it. Yeah, it's, it's a different feeling. Um, and I'm going to work more with you, Brenda, because you need to get that registry exam. And, you know, I encourage people to do what we have available, but then, uh, a lot of people aren't aware that VA, what we got from VA was not done before we came home. It was done by mm-hmm. early ones, you know, and i I got involved with a a band <laughs> band of us i guess um mm-hmm. that were pushing to get things set up um pushing to get awareness of the problem, and you know mm-hmm. the providers you know were push, pushed into it um as additional duties they had at the v a but they really were not informed of all the exposures. The the DOG was not really forthcoming and sharing data. It was like everybody didn't know anything. Um, So, you know, just giving all the exposures we had besides having chemical alarms going off, being given a pill to take, uh, the prostagmine bromide pill, um, shots that were given in theaters, the anthrax shot, um, and just the conditions of in the desert. <laughs> it was sandstorms and everything else that was happening and just a whole list of exposures. And I tell people, number one, if you want to learn something, and it's commonly available, even if you're a civilian, family member, you're curious, you've seen things happen, is to go on VA Public Health and go for There is a section... Uh, under there for each of the wars Each of the wars And it goes through the exposures lists them and then it gives the Basic information of You know getting on the registries And about the unidentified Illnesses uh, This is Similar to what Agent Orange Went through um, mm. You know and Agent Orange Vietnam vets had to fight the, To do the same thing They It's a It's a normal thing. I mean, hopefully we're breaking the mode and that our brothers and sisters that followed us in Iraq later in Afghanistan, you know, are briefed better and get in and are being watched better. Um, The exposures are different. Every time period, every uh, uh, theater that you go into country uh, is going to be different. So that was a... Huge step for everybody And mm-hmm. the briefings That were given were kind of non-existent So it's been You know helpful that we've had The internet that Vietnam that didn't have uh, That we could communicate we Had a starting point with the With the uh, Social networks that got set up And emails and And having just the rudimentary ways to get In touch with each other so we've branched out, and the VA-funded research that focused on stress, um, mm-hmm. very heavily on the stress. Uh, didn't really mm-hmm. look at exposures. Um, they heard about it as we came in and trying to tell them and doing questionnaires that they have. Uh, but, you know, it was not all together. And slowly, I think it's better for those that have followed us. I pray that it is. Um, but we moved forward, and we tried to transition into civilian life and getting jobs and families and all that. So you just – it's like you, Brenda, like all of us. We just tried to get on, <laughs> get on with life. Uh, either going back to school or, you know, getting a job, progressing that way, having family. Um, And not You know We didn't really look for this to happen But we were just experiencing The problems of I can't keep up Like normal And the age age Which would happen You know it just didn't make sense You know um, Mm -hmm. You had an active life Before doing your military Job and you were active After your a tour for the day was over, you were out there doing things actively, physically active, and just being exhausted, totally exhausted. You know, and exactly. it just progressed. But anyway, we're gonna move forward from that experience. And I'll be working mm-hmm. with Brenda, everybody to get her get her going back to the VA and onto the registry. And what we've been able to do was, and um, that was in the 90s. And we, some of us, we got the bill and the law to go to the VA Research Advisory Committee. And we had one on benefits that was only for, that was done without a law, without a law. And they did it for mm-hmm. 18 months. And it did not go well. It, it just did not help that much, but it went on for 18 months and was done mm-hmm. because we were trying to get a law, a bill introduced to work it toward a law. But then we had a veteran out of Texas get with his senator and the senator got with the VA secretary and they just kind of did it using the VA secretary's um, power. And so that mm-hmm. went on for 18 months. And always meeting in D.C. I don't think we met too much outside of D.C. on that committee. Of course, we had a a presidential advisory committee, a presidential oversight, you know, so many committees we went through. And we had one that we did by law, which was a VA research advisory committee on God for illness research. And We were doing pretty good with that as far as having mission statement goals. And when Shinseki and McDonald came in, uh, they decided to replace every one of our committee members. So that pretty well, we had made good progress, and and it hasn't made such good progress after that. But what we did was we were constantly going back over uh, to what we call the Hill the Capitol, the Congress, Um, when we were in D.C. for various meetings with the Institute of Medicine, uh, we'd go back over and say, this isn't working. You know, we need something else. So around 2006, uh, we got told about the congressionally directed medical research program through the Department of Defense. Uh it's It's congressionally directed. So we we have been lucky that all along, from the very beginning, we had people outside of the VA system, outside the military system, uh, people with Boston University, uh, people with uh, connection with University of Florida, Miami, that were connecting with us and knew something was wrong in various ways that they connected with us. Either, you know, doing uh, C&P exams uh, as additional learning or additional uh, salaries, I guess, for some of them. Or they were their specialty uh, rheumatology like uh, Dr. Klinis down in Florida. And she would do that okay. for the VA. But there was only certain times she had to be there as a rheumatologist with specialty care clinics. Uh So... Slowly, we, you know, ran it. these people were out there, but they were also associated with other institutes, medical universities, and so they knew something was wrong. But we had to fight to get funding to get them involved, so that they could help us more. And so that was what happened. You know, we got funding, and we fight for it every year. And we have dedicated people that some of them were, a lot of them were involved looking at civilian chronic fatigue um, and civilian fibromyalgia. And all that was new. I mean, new to us, but they were out there. There was patient groups out there. When we came home, I connected with them because it was the closest thing that we could connect to. So it's been a long haul, 30 years now. We're getting answers through our congressionally directed medical research program and we have to fight to get the funding and keep it. But we are getting much better research to know exactly what's happened to our body. And in fact, we're proving the damage is there. And that was my thing as a nurse is I wanted to know physiologically what's happened to us. But we're yeah. going to move on from there, okay? Um, Brenda, you know, so you transitioned in civilian life. Well, what do you do? Um, I I do do home health care, and I work at the security office. Okay, so home health care became an area you moved into. Okay, mm-hmm. and so... Um, You have a family to keep up with, like all of us. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you were kind of, you know, just making your way in life uh, with your family and home health care or job. And so, what happened to you that really is different than, and while we can say a lot of people, but we have 670,000 that have died, not You know, not all military, but I would imagine quite a few veterans, you know, in the background and active duty military. So, when did you encounter this experience getting COVID? Um, I got COVID on test positive for COVID on the sixth of July. Um, I was hospitalized from the 6th of July until the 26th of August and after the hospitalization I went to rehab until 18 September and that was just uh that was not 2021 that was 2020, 2020. so yes. it was before the vaccines were developed exactly yes uh, so, tell the people out there in radio land that may be hearing you, you know, what were your symptoms, you know, how bad did it get before you got to the hospital and then your hospital experience? Um, at first thought it off with um, diarrhea and then I was just fatigued, very tired, didn't want to eat anything and just, you know... Um, I just wanted to sit around and stay in bed all day. You know, I ended up having to call 911 to take me to the hospital because I didn't feel like driving and I didn't want to call my family, you know, to take me there because I didn't know what was going on with me. And, um, I was, like I said, I was there. Uh, from the 6th to the 26th, 6th of July to the 26th of August, they actually transferred me from to the trauma unit where I um from the hospital I originally went to. So it was I was pretty bad. I um my symptoms was bad. I went into cardiac arrest. Um, while I had COVID, I had a feeding tube, ventilator, double pneumonia, hallucinations that was really, really bad. Um, respiratory failure. And um, you know, that was the base and I had to get a trach. So you had a trach in? which was uh-huh. the opening in your neck area so that they could ventilate you easier because you mm-hmm. did end up on a respirator, on a ventilator. Yeah. Uh, did they sedate you? Do you remember much of that? Um, yes, I ate it most of the time. And, you know, most of the time I didn't know what was going on because of it. But, you know, my family called, you know, every shift twice a day to get a um, pass down on what was going on with me. Of course, because at that time, you know, you couldn't have visitors. So they just had, the only thing they could do was call to find out what was going on with me. Okay. Did you end up, um, I can't remember. I kind of remember you had the, uh, Besides the ventilator, did you have the um, extra device that circulated your blood, which they call ECMO? Which um, I, don't rem- you- I don't remember that. I know you know, you know I was I did have a lot of blood clots actually. Um, I clot. I was throwing up blo- clots of blood. And that's, um, I think that's when I um, went into cardiac arrest. I was throwing up blood and I gag. Yeah. So that the surgeon can work on the heart. (laughs) I mean, the heart has to be stopped during cardiac surgery. Um, For for a lot of it, Some, some surgeries you end up, to do that but um, it was cardiac bypass it was called bypass at the time and since then that has been developed into what we call ECMO all this is uh, a smaller and uh, more transportable uh, equipment for sure than what it was back in the early beginnings of cardio, cardiovascular and open heart surgery which was back in the oh my gosh, I'm aging myself, but, you know, starting in the <laughs> 70s <laughs> and moving uh-huh. forward. So, you know, it was a development that was brought about with open heart surgery and a way that we could, um, you know, repair the heart. And it was used for, you know, you always wanted to limited the time with those beginning machines because, you know, the rollers and It would damage the blood cells to some degree, (laughs) Um, the early uh, devices that we had. So it was kind of like your open-heart surgery. You had to have, you know, really good cardiac surgeons that could work and do it quickly because you didn't want them on the bypass machine that long. So this Mm -hmm. has progressed uh, after all these years to being something that was called ECMO now, extracorporeal membrane. Um, And so you had a very complicated It wasn't just that you were sick at home You ended up sick enough that you couldn't survive at home Getting admitted (laughs) to the hospital And then to the critical care unit set up for COVID And that was early on Um, And at that time um, I don't know if we had the uh, Monosomal uh, antibodies that are available We had the typical anti-inflammatory drugs You know mm-hmm. um, We had to deal with blood clots With that medication that's available So you were one of the early ones Yeah so you were mm-hmm. kind of a, One of the many miracles That lived through it In the early times That this hit us from overseas And whether it came in Through the west coast or the east coast uh, travelers bringing mm-hmm. it in, um, and that's what happened. And that's why we had to cut down all the air travel had to be shut off uh, and then shutting down cities uh, to decrease uh, the exposures as much as we could. Um, and hospitals and medical personnel were learning as they went. In uh, fact- you know, you were hearing what was happening overseas, what Europe was going through There was a lot of uh, A lot of communication going on And thank goodness for the internet That was available uh, Because a lot of uh, Doctors were writing up their experience And how they handled things and, and getting it transferred All over the world And So people get upset With some of our public health people But this was This was new development. You know, we had not had a pandemic since uh, shortly after World War I, you know, 100 years ago. Uh, We've had Mm -hmm. things that came about like Ebola. And basically, Ebola was kept overseas except for a few cases that ended up being transported back to the U.S. and isolated. Uh, So our public health was working. Uh, our public health system that people kind of complain about now. Um, I mean, it was an area that struggled for funding. Um, didn't get as much as you know hospitals and and things like that. So, you know, people complain, and I look at it knowing I'm a little older, so seeing the developments in public health and what what has occurred worldwide. But you're one of those individuals. You're one that came down with it and lived through it. Um, Yes. And that's what I wanted to give you. I wanted to give you the time to say what you have to say about what you went through, what you see happening since then, and your words as a patient that went through it and that. A lot of it you don't remember because you were sedated and on a respirator. Mm-hmm. I I call you one of those angels that walks among us from the first ones that were yeah. affected. Mhm. Um. So you went to rehab. I mean, that was a long – I mean, why did you have to go to rehab? Because, you know, I was – for one, I was still on the um, – Oxygen, I still was on oxygen, and I still had shortness of breath, and it was hard for me to take a couple of steps without, you know, you know, feeling extremely tired. And I was practicing walking again, you know, with my breathing and walking. And, cause, you know, like I said, I couldn't take a but a few steps without being totally exhausted. And, you know, they helped me with that the walking, going up and downstairs, the stairs, and just strengthening of my body again. Uh, you yeah, know, it's I was hard for people. For four weeks. Excuse me? It's hard for people to realize that, you know, you were. <laughs> You were in a bed. You were on a ventilator. They were taking care of you, turning you, positioning you, mm-hmm. and you probably don't remember hardly any of that because they sedated you to mm-hmm. make it easier from fighting on the respirator uh, because having mm-hmm. a tube, whether you have a trach or whatever, uh, and your oxygenation of your blood and blood clotting, um, you just, you know, you're very dependent and totally dependent on machines and on the Mm -hmm. nursing care and doctors and respiratory therapists. Um, you were one of the early ones, honestly. Um, I looked for those that, you know, went through it around your time and a lot of them, you know, struggled and struggled with the long COVID symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're, Totally immobilized People are doing everything for you Uh, You're sedated So yeah, your muscles Your your normal ability to even walk Even walk to a bathroom In a hospital Mm -hmm. room People don't realize just how Immobilized And the body just Has to relearn Relearn walking And probably Uh talking after you've been on a ventilator that long. Yes. So that happened, and it was several, several months. I mean, July to August, and then your time going from August to September and re relearning your skills. Um, And then recovering at home. I mean, it wasn't right back going to a job or anything. It took you some time to recover then even yeah. going home. Were you on Oxygen when you went home? Yes, I was on Oxygen until the 1st of April. Oh, that was a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you've seen the development and you've seen You know, people around you that probably refused and didn't want to wear a mask that has, you know, the masking and the isolation or distance, keeping your distance, doing basic safety measures, much less when we started getting the vaccines out, Uh, which has only been really the vaccines really started being used I watched it, uh January that the health care providers were getting their first doses. Of course, they were first, um, you know, yeah. to try to get them vaccinated because people don't realize that we've had a lot of nurses, doctors, you know, people that were providing the care that got exposed got COVID and they have passed. Yeah. They are no longer with us. Um, and I don't think people really realized how much, that the caregivers gave, gave their all. Uh, they were like soldiers and warriors, like like our military and like us veterans. But they they were scared of bringing it home to their families. So a lot of them, you know, had hotel rooms provided or got trailers. Um, they certainly didn't want to go home and possibly expose their their spouses, their children to it, or their family members. So that didn't happen until, you know, gosh, it's just now uh, that we started getting them around January that we had the massive push to get vaccines out. And you've seen that resistance. Um, What do you want to say to people that haven't had COVID, that haven't lived through the experience their family members, this is your time to speak your words of what you want others to know. Is there anything that frustrates you as you look around and as you see us going through another wave of a very different variant that is hitting Idaho, Alaska, Montana? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it was down in the seven southern states like you are in Florida, Florida. Um, case numbers are kind of going down there now, um, but I went through a heck of a heck of a time. And it's not over yet for the seven states. It's just case numbers are starting to decrease, and it's hit other parts of Tennessee, Kentucky, some Ohio. Um, trying to think of the other states, but definitely hitting Idaho, Montana, and we're going to care that it's like triage in a wartime. Of which Mm -hmm. ones have the best chance to survive and live And that is called the emergency care principles That you're overwhelmed with patients And Mm -hmm. actually triaging them Like we would do in a military war situation What do you have to say to people? We have uh, roughly another 15 minutes and I really want okay. to you to have the time to explain what you've seen, in your viewpoint, your family, others around you, and what you want to say to America at at large. Okay, um, I would just encourage people to wear their masks and to get vaccinated because COVID is is real. It's I've never felt sick like that before when I, I mean i thought that i was going to die several times and even when i was in a hospital the hallucinations made me think that everybody was trying to kill me there you know it's it just wasn't a good thing you know you need to be careful be safe to think of you know your family don't be selfish. You know, as my pastor says, people are selfish because you're not wearing their mask and not getting vaccinated. That's, you know, I would encourage everybody to get vaccinated. You want to spend that time with your family so things can get, go back to, you know, the way they used to be, have the family gatherings. So you need to do what you need to do to Take care of yourselves and your loved ones. That's it. <laughs> you know, we were we were military. Now we're veterans. Mm-hmm. And I I can't remember if you had the anthrax shots in theater, but we mm-hmm. have a lot of our veterans that what we went through, you know. Like we talked about, there we we came into a situation that's been, you know, our providers not really understanding what we're going through and the exposures and what to look for and how to care for us as Gafford uh, vets with health problems that maybe we haven't had a heart attack or you know something that they could diagnose and treat right then. You know, um, it's it's mm-hmm. not clear cut and. Uh, so you're trying to monitor and, and see what's going on with their system. And so we had bad experience with uh, things that had not been done before, the anthrax vaccine, the prostigmine bromide, the exposures we had. It was different. Um, and we're still pushing, you know, for better. <laughs> Better care, better knowledge from our providers, much less the VA system Mm -hmm. to try to get compensation for people that can no longer, you know, uh, they just can't keep going. They get to that point and they need help. Um, So we value freedom. We've been in wartime. And it's not that we don't value our freedom, for heaven's sakes. Those that have been in military give up a lot of freedom in order to be mm-hmm. military members, and so the people yelling freedom, freedom, um, and resisting the mask are fighting with people when they're trying to they're trying to bring the economy back up to give businesses back up after being hit hard. Employers, mm-hmm. uh, owners. Uh, their workers. I mean this this, you know, put a stop to our life. Uh and how we can get back and how we all need to pull together. And I just I have a hard time. You know, I think about the times that we had to respond to chemical alarms in theater and we had mm-hmm. to have that belief in our, our military equipment or mask or or the hood over the mask, you know, and the gear that we put on to protect ourselves, um, you know, whether actually did the job or not. Now, but uh, that was what we had, what little protection we had. So, I know as as a nurse and as the officer and as somebody that were civilian and and military and then civilian again. And the training I've had, I'm just very, it's very hard to see people fight against basic public health principles. And that are people Mm. that are trying their best to care for it, to really care whether you're at home and trying to keep you from getting sick in the first place. And having people fight you. I mean, what we mm-hmm. see on the airlines of people knocking the stewardess, the flight attendants, and they lose teeth, you know, from somebody knocking the heck out of them. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, up in New York, we're in New York and the people that, New York got hit hard. Oh, my God, what they went through. Um, I mean, we've, we've been hit hard all across the country, but New York and the And the areas where they they First hit our country Whether it was east coast or west coast They struggled And they were learning As they went to save lives And I get frustrated Do you get frustrated Watching what you see going around Yes I do Very You know Anxiety because you know, the young lady came in my office and didn't have a mask on, and I had a panic alarm, and, you know, actually, I, she and I was arguing because I told her she couldn't come in until she put on a mask, and my, that didn't go very well with my supervisor, but you know, I, I panicked when I didn't see her with the mask on. And what about, you know, besides that work? I mean, I can imagine people coming in and, and not, you know, the basic principles of mask and uh, separation space, even. Um, but even if you have to go get your food, uh, if you've been in the grocery store, I know that. You know, some of us were able to go in and hire like Uber, Uber Delivers or whatever to do your grocery shopping, mm-hmm. and mean, it was delivered to your door. Um, you know, I've, my husband and I are, you know, of the uh, older age group and health problems. And so, yeah, I've gone above and beyond. I mean, I went in early on with mask into grocery store and, you know, I just did not feel safe. You know, other yeah. we're not abiding by basic principles. Um, mm-hmm. And there's such a resistance. I mean, have you seen it in your own family too? Um, yes. Well, me, my sister and I, or, you know, we share dinner together. We stay close by. So some days she will cook and some days I'll cook. So we, Really don't have to go because it's just the two of us, we don't have to go to the grocery store that often. So um, that's the good part about it. And you know, everybody just share food, you know. Do you have family members that resist wearing a mask or don't want to get their vaccinations, even if you know it's not your sister that? You're living with the other family members, being cousins or uncles or whatever. Um, Are all of them getting vaccinated? Mm -hmm. or all of them, you know, wearing masks? I mean, what's going on? All of my siblings um, have been vaccinated. My parents as well, and their kids, All of them have been vaccinated, the ones that's old enough to get vaccinated. We have, you know, some babies that's, you know, under 12. They, of course, they haven't been vaccinated. But for the most part, my immediate family, we all have been vaccinated. So, but it's, you know, I have a couple of cousins that haven't been vaccinated. But, you know, I tell people because it's scary every day you're hearing someone pass from COVID. Yeah. I I think about the the area in D.C. and people that set out the flags. Um, I, I guess they've done it annually, but just to see mm-hmm. the number of little white flags and the area is covering in D.C. Normally during inauguration, we'd be filled with people. I mean, all these little white flags. It's you Mm -hmm. know, having been to D.C. a lot and know the area now, I go, "Oh my God!" You know, look at that. Those are just little bitty flags, a little bitty portion of the ground. I mean, it's not like a huge cemetery, but I mean, (laughs) how many? You know, we've lost more people now than we had every war. It's, mm-hmm. it's mind-boggling to me that we've lost that many people, that many young, old, you know, and the age group now is so young. So I wanted to have a chance for you to say from experience of being in the hospital, having been sick and having to call 911 and get taken in. Mm-hmm. And going through that and the and the rehab, um, not you know we're getting more people that speak out, you know, and I think that it helps the other people to know. And I've been encouraging you since we since we've talked. And I mean, we haven't been met in person yet, but mm-hmm. you know, I've been encouraging everybody that have gone through that to speak out. And because you're the best. The best people to educate the rest of society and say, you don't want to go through this. I <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. having been a critical care ICU and we in my experience, I, I went through a incident military and it was ICU, open heart surgery, mm-hmm. all the surgical patients in a surgical ICU. And we had overwhelming uh, infection going on. And sepsis, and we had to do a whole lot to try to save lives. Uh, similar experience, but not to the degree of a COVID ICU, not to that degree. And having having with patients lined up in the hallways, using conference rooms. I mean, I don't think that the normal civilians can can really. It's like you want to get them all suited up and take them on a tour of a hospital that's been hit hard, you know, that maybe Mm -hmm. seeing it. And I know that TV uh, channels, all of them, have tried to get in and show what's actually going on. But it's really hard. But we're out that everybody learns something from fellow people's experiences. Brenda, thank you for being a guest uh, Warrior Connection. The hour went Force. for us. Everybody, go out there. Take care of yourselves. Be safe. Let's stop this pandemic in its footsteps. It's a war out there in a different way.